How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud and his anger. He has cast down from heaven to the earth the beauty of Israel, and did not remember his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up and is not pitied all the dwelling places of Jacob. He has thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. He has cut off in fierce anger every horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire, devouring all around. Standing like an enemy, he has bent his bow. With his right hand, like an adversary, he has slain all who are pleasing to his eye. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed her strongholds, and has increased mourning and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. He has done violence to his tabernacle, as if it were a garden. He has destroyed his, palace, his place of assembly, for the Lord has caused the appointed feast and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. In his burning indignation, he has spurned the king and the priest. The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord, as on the day of a set feast. The Lord has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he has caused the rampart and a wall to, to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her kings and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Okay. So this just uh, shows you the wrath of God, and he describes it several different ways as he starts. In verse 1, how does he describe what he's done against Jerusalem? Covering them with a cloud of anger. Yes. Almost like a solar eclipse, you know. He's he darkened her in his anger. And what else has he done? She's like a what? Footstool? Alright, she's like a footstool that's... Forgotten. Forgotten. Like a forgotten footstool. You know, I hadn't even thought about it. Or in the middle of verse 1, what's she like? Our glories are thrown down. Yeah, well, like a what? Does that, what, 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 what image do you get? A lightning bolt. Yeah, lightning bolt, or I'm thinking of like a star or a meteorite or something. You know, thrown down. You know, all of these just come down. You know, it's darkened, star comes down, forgotten footstool. The Lord has swallowed her up in verse 2. She's, she's humiliated. She's abandoned. You know, he brought everything down. The strongholds, the kingdom, the princes. In his fierce anger, he's, he's burned them. What has, he, what has he done against Judah and Jerusalem in verse uh, 4? What, what what weapon is he using against Jerusalem? A bow. Bow. You know, like Jerusalem's target practice. 
you know, he's taking the bow and stretching the back and shooting his arrows into Jerusalem. Just lots of different ways of describing how he brings God's people down. Yeah, the Lord has become an enemy, swallowed up Israel, and destroyed the strongholds, mourning and moaning in the end of verse 5. Now, look at verse 6, and you see some of the things the Lord has destroyed and taken away. What has he destroyed? The tabernacle. The tabernacle, which would be like the temple. What has he stopped? The feast and the Sabbath. So he's destroyed the temple, the sacred objects. He's taken away the sacred days, like the Sabbaths and the feast days. What else has he taken away in verse 6? The king and priest, so the leadership. Verse 7. The altar. So it's everything. It's all their sacred places. It's all their leaders. It's all their special times. And, you know, he delivered him into the hands of the enemy. Look at the end of verse 7. The walls of her palaces, they be made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of his appointed feast. It's like, you know, instead of worship in the temple, now you've got the, the you know, uh, I don't want you to say the 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 confusion, uh, the the yelling and shouting of the enemies as they come in. You can imagine. Do you suppose that the Babylonians came in really quietly into the temple and bowed down as they came in? They came in raucous and rowdy and you know tearing things up and grabbing silver and gold and whatever and just just you know just so blasphemous, so. You know, just a desecration. You know, I mean, can you can you imagine? This is a very small illustration, but what if you just cleaned up your house and some robbers come in and their shoes are all dirty and they're just knocking things over? They're they're you know taking the drawers out and throwing them down and and seeing if there's any money underneath the socks, you know, and one thing or another, and they're. They're knocking the mattress off the bed to see if there's anything under the bed. And they're just, you know, grabbing stuff and tearing stuff up. How would you feel? What would be your emotion? Anger. Anger because you feel what? Violated. Yeah, violated. It's like, they're just, just, just intruded. And your your home, your special place. You know, they just like like they have no respect. You know, I mean, have you ever felt that? Have you ever been robbed? Had your house robbed? You have. Anybody else? Have you? Do you remember it? Well, yeah, I wasn't there though. Did they tear it up pretty bad or not? Well, it was actually my dad's truck that they stole from. Okay. Did they they mess it up? Yeah. How'd that make you? him feel and you feel. Oh, angry. Yeah, exactly. It's infuriating. It's just it's just a, a violation. You know, I don't know. It's just it's just really uh it's it's hard. I mean uh so you can imagine the whole nation feeling this. You know, it just it just seems so disrespectful, I guess you'd say. Um look at verse eight, the middle part of it. 
He stretched out a line. He's not restrained his hand from destroying. Now, the idea of a line here is like a, a chalk line or a level. Now, you use a chalk line and a level usually to do what? To build something. They're using it here to destroy something. It's like they are demolishing everything with precision. <laughs> you know, methodically, systematically, you know, the Lord's got his, his chalk line of destruction. And he brings them down with that. Um, and, uh, you know, her gates have sunk into the ground, her, her bars, her kings, her princes, the law, the prophets, everything. You know, it's destroying all of the leadership, all of the things they trusted in, you know, all of the things they, they felt comfort in and relied on are gone. This is a hard moment for Jerusalem. Thoughts and comments through verse 9. Ten to seventeen. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed down their bowed their heads to the ground. Their eyes fail. My my eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out in, on the earth because of my because of the destruction of the daughter. My people, when the little ones and the infants faint in the street, streets of the cities, they say to their mothers, Where is the grain and the wine? And they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How shall I ad admonish you? To what shall I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what shall I liken you as I comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets as have seen you. For you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity, so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen, but they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city which they said the, per the perfection of beauty, a joy to the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. And they say, We have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we have waited. We have reached it. We have seen it. The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He, th he has thrown down without sparing. He has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Now look at verse 10. What uh, mourning and grief uh, traditions and customs do you see in verse 10? Sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. What does sackcloth and ashes mean? Tearing their clothes and sprinkling ash on their heads. And what's this, what does it symbolize? Mourning. Mourning, grief, lamentation. What else do you see in verse 10? Yeah, bowing their heads down to the ground just in, in utter dismay and humiliation and shame. You know, it's just, it, the whole picture is of shame and defeat and anguish. 
you know, verse 11, my eyes fail because of tears. It's like, I cried so much, I, I've used up all my tears. I can't even cry anymore. You know, I'm troubled. And, and look at the end of verse 11. Especially, who do you feel for in a destruction like this? Children. What are they saying in 12? How would that make you feel? Most of you aren't parents. But imagine what it would be like to be a parent. Painful. Yeah. You get your five-year-old coming and saying, Mommy, I'm hungry. Where's the food? Can you imagine saying, There's no food. There's no hope for food. You know, Babylon besieges Jerusalem and they have food stop, stored up and they start using it up. Guess what? The price starts going up <laughs> on the little food they've got left. And eventually, there's nothing. It's just so sad, you know, and and no wonder they cried their eyes out. You know, as, as he says, they faint in verse 12, like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. You know, wow. It's like it's like the children dying of starvation in their mother's arms. That is sad. Wow. That's what sin led to for the people of Judah. It's just, it's really, uh, really a bad picture. He said, what do I compare you to? In verse 13. For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? It's almost like, you know, this is unparalleled. He didn't even have a way to describe it. It's worse than anything there's ever been. How do you, how do you tell what this is really like? You know, trying to describe grief like this is, is just greater than what you can describe. Verse 14 is important. Do you understand verse 14? talking about the false prophets. That did what? That didn't tell them about their sin. Why not? What were the false prophets saying? Everything's going to be fine and you'll have peace. And... Well, now, think about it. Do you like to hear a preacher that makes you feel good or one that makes you feel guilty? Which one do you like? Most people don't like being feeling guilty. Yeah. Do you like feeling guilty? No. Uh, does anybody like feeling guilty? So let's get ourselves some preachers that make us feel good. That always tell us we're doing great. That always just lift us up and we're so encouraged by them. Is that a good idea? Why not? We end up like Israel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, is it really nice on their part if they don't point out our sins and they give us false comfort? You know, can you imagine how many people are going to be lost because there were preachers and teachers that didn't tell them the truth? They just made them feel good. 
They made sure they were happy. Oh, I love this preacher. Oh, he's such a great speaker. And he, I always feel great when I leave. He always just lifts me up. Well, there's a time to be lifted up, and there's a time to have your sin exposed. These false prophets were part of the problem. They were partially who were responsible for Jerusalem suffering like this. You know, it's like a doctor who won't tell you the truth. Who just wants to make you feel good. So, I think it's interesting, right in the middle of this expression of grief, he deals with the prophets that offered false hope and comfort when what was needed were exhortations to repent. That's what they needed. Now look what's happened. Look at verse 15. What are the people who are passing by Jerusalem doing? They're clapping their hands. Yeah. Like, how does, what, what would they be doing? I mean, what's, what's, that, what's that emotion? They clap their hands. What are they showing? They're happy about it. They're happy about it. How do you feel about somebody's happy about you, uh, you know, being uh, destroyed? <laughs> you know, yay! Jerusalem got defeated. How do you feel? And, and, and some of you, a few of you, maybe not very many, are basketball fans. Who, who's following? Who really cares about who wins in the NCAA tournament? Any of you? Any of you have a basketball team? Any of you have a, any team on anything? Is this the most non-sports group <laughs> I've ever talked to? I like football. You like football? Who's your team? Colts. Um, and uh, how do you feel when New England whips the Colts? I didn't like it. Yeah. And what would you think if the New England fans were all around you Tell how bad the Colts are and how stupid they are and all that. How would that make you feel? Make yeah, exactly. That's the idea. Thank you, Philip. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's what you're seeing here. Here the enemies are clapping their hands, shaking their heads, you know, hissing, gnashing their teeth and saying, We swallowed her up. You know, this is the day we're waiting for. Now they're gone. We beat them. You know, yeah. You know, who wants to hear uh, Belichick, you know, uh, telling how great New England is and how bad the Colts are? You know, uh, that's infuriating. Yeah, you didn't even know there was a Belichick, did you? We are, we are very non-sports around here. I still don't here. know what a Belichick is. <laughs> the coach of the Patriots. Okay. And the Patriots are pretty much the Colts' worst enemy, aren't they? Yeah. Ah, these guys don't get it. Now, some of you knew who Belichick was, right? Yeah. Now, there's a, some understanding of that in this audience. So. so it's just really sad. And all of this, verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. This is what he said he was going to do back in Leviticus, back in Deuteronomy. He did it. Isn't it nice to know the Lord fulfills his warnings? You know, that's, that's kind of a bitter comfort. All right, comments or questions through verse 17. All right, 18 to 22. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. 
Arise, cry aloud in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the life of your little ones, who are faint because of hunger, at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and look, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered, not sparing. You called as in the day of an appointed feast. My terror is on every side. And there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the Lord's anger. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. All right. So they cried out to the Lord, just crying night and day, no relief, crying at night, crying at the beginning of the night, pouring out your heart before the Lord, lifting up your hands to him for the life of your little ones, begging for the Lord to look. Why have you done this? You know, the worst thing is it didn't help. They cried and begged and pleaded, and the Lord still punished. You know, that's that's just sad. I mean, you know, God doesn't that God doesn't always answer every plea for help. When the people who are pleading are rebellious, wicked people. You know, Jerusalem, when they got in terrible shape, Lord, please help us, it was too late. The Babylonians conquered them. You know, when we won't listen to the Lord, isn't it only right that the Lord quits listening to us? That's what he'll do. That's what he did do. Look at uh, look at the sad pictures of verse 20. Really sad. What do you see happening in verse 20? It's kind of gross. They're eating their kids. Ah, what do you think about that? You ever, can you imagine that? What would that tell you about them? Hungry. Yeah, super hungry. There is a passage. Do you know this passage in Deuteronomy 28? Did we, do, did we even do Deuteronomy in this? We did a year in study. Deuteronomy 28. That's just like, wow. This is what God says is going to happen to them. When, when they're really wicked and they're besieged. This is just hard to believe. Deuteronomy 28:53. Then you shall eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you. The man who is refined and very delicate among you shall be hostile toward his brother and toward the wife he cherishes and toward the rest of his children who remain so that he will not give even one of them any of the flesh of his children which he will eat, since he has nothing else left during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in all your towns. The refined and delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground for delicateness and refinement, shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes and toward her son and daughter, toward her afterbirth which issues from between her legs, and toward her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of anything else, during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in your towns. He's saying it's going to get to the point where parents are so mean that they will hide their children that they're eating from their mate so that they get to eat all their kid and they don't share them with their, with their spouse or with their other siblings or, or children. 
Isn't that the worst, most gross, most despicable thing you've ever heard? I mean, they're so mean they won't let anybody else eat their children with them. That's how bad it would get. That is just... That's mad. Can you imagine being that hungry? I can't. I've never even been close. Whoa. And it's not the only thing. Look at what else here in 220. What's the other real tragedy that occurred? Increasing the prophet was slain in the temple. In the temple! Well, you would think that that couldn't happen in the temple. You know, where they're there serving the temple, God let the Babylonians invade the temple and kill the priest and the prophet in there. You know, wow, there's no sacred space. Now in verse 21, on the ground in the streets, young and old, virgins, young men, all killed by the sword, all slaughtered. You know, no one escapes or survives in the day of the Lord's anger in verse 22. Just really sad, really, uh, just kind of like a total devastation, total desolation. Thoughts and comments on chapter 2? Why didn't they surrender sooner? Well, I don't have a good answer. I mean, the false prophets were saying, stick it out and we're going to win. Mm-hmm. But it didn't make a lot of sense. You know, I don't know. They never did surrender. They finally, like, the Babylonians broke. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, they because were relying more on Egypt, weren't they? They were. But then they didn't. Egypt was useless. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they kept having false hope. They kept thinking they could stick it out. They kept thinking the Babylonians would leave. So it would have been better for them to just accept it. Jeremiah says that over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, wave the right, white flag, surrender, and it'll be great. You'll at least you get to save your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very stubborn on the, their part. Reminds me of Nahum, uh, chapter one, verse I think six. Where it says, uh, who can stand against the Lord's indignation? Verse 22. And and just, it goes through the chapter 1 of Nahum just talking about God's power and how great he is. Um, It says, who can stand against his indignation? Turns around and says, he's good because if we're in his stronghold, that's great. But but thinking about who can stand against his indignation, we don't want to go against him. We don't want to go against him because he's this great God. But if we're on his side, there is this protection. It's It's a wonderful thought to think about God's wrath as long as we're not against him. Right, yes. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah. Other thoughts? Alright, chapter 3. Um, th- these verses are way shorter, but there's uh, three times more of them. 